If you are invited to the White House for a personal audience with the President of the United States, learning the proper protocols of address would be an absolute imperative. But when the daughter of the President enters his study, she can address her dad personally. Should we enjoy this same kind of family intimacy with our Heavenly Father? Our teacher, Dave Wurtson, opens our discussion on prayer by praying. Listen to his form of address. Heavenly Daddy, we thank you that because of your Son, that we can call you by terms of closeness and intimacy. We'd ask you, Lord, that you would teach us as we study your word today exactly why we can call you our Daddy and teach us how to talk to you freely. We just would pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move that as he has promised that not one word that you have uttered will return empty. We'd ask you, Lord, that you would fill the teaching of your precious word and use it to feed us, use it to make us very strong spiritually. I'd ask you that you would give me an ability to think clearly, to put the words of interpretation out before this precious body of Christ accurately. And I pray that I'd also be able to share the relationship that you've given to me. And I pray that it would be used to fan the flames of, of what Christ is doing throughout the world to build an invisible body of believers that is not a denomination, is not any local church in particular, but it's that vast, precious bride of Christ that you're calling to yourself. So guide us as we study the Lord's Prayer and use it the way that Jesus intended it to be used. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to stress to you that the idea that Jesus is trying to get across in Matthew 6 is that we need to be very, very much aware that the Lord wants us not to do our deeds of worship to be seen by men. The issue is not to be seen by men, but it's to be seen by the invisible God. And that invisible God who sees what we do secretly is going to reward us openly. Now, when we left Matthew chapter 6, we were talking about giving in verses 2 through 4. In verse 5, Jesus begins to talk about the second major area of the acts of religious worship to God that were prominent among the Jews of the first century. And Jesus says this, And when you pray, once again, just like we did with give, giving, Jesus assumes that every one of his disciples will be praying. I could translate this very accurately. As often as you pray, whenever you pray, implying that as I speak to you as a group today, I am speaking to a group of experienced prayers. You have been praying. And I think one of the great movements of the Spirit among the family of God in the U.S. right now is a great burden. I sense as I've been traveling that the Lord is burdening many believers to begin to pray. But there's a danger when we pray that we can be like the hypocrites. Now the key idea of a hypocrite in Jesus' book is that the hypocrite, rather than listening to what Jesus says, that we need to pray, we need to give for God and not for personal effect, not for the effect that it has upon others. 
Our giving, our praying is not supposed to be theatrics. There's nothing wrong with a great actor going out on a stage and acting for the audience. There's, there, that's perfectly legitimate. It can be a, something that's greatly used to bring joy and happiness in, as, in a dramatic art. But a hypocrite is someone that does that spiritually. Pray for the audience. They give for the audience. And that's the hypocrite that Jesus is talking about. They pray for the audience in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you in truth, they have all the reward they're going to get. If we pray for the effect upon the audience, then we'll get the effect upon the audience, but that's all that we get. It's the only reward that we get. Jesus said this, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And we talked together the last time about the fact that it doesn't mean that we should think in terms necessarily of a literal closet, but we should think in terms of having a private place of worship alone with the Lord. One of the key ingredients of my upbringing in Word of Life, the Word of Life is known for anything. It's known for motivating young people to have a quiet time. Now, we're not to do it in order to win favor with God, but because we have favor with God, what a precious privilege it is to be able to have a one-on-one -on -one audience with Him on a regular basis to express our love to Him. And it will radically change your life if you get into that holy, gracious discipline of alone with God. Learn to have a place where you can close the door and be alone with God. And that might be out on the big outdoors somewhere. That might be in a park or somewhere where you can get alone with God. And when you pray to God in secret, your Father who is unseen will reward you openly. Now, also when we pray in verse 7, we should not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I was raised with a group of people that would pray like this, Our Father, honor in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, honor in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. They would go through that. It's called the Patra Noster. Now you all have here Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame. What does that mean? Notre means our. See, for years, you know, even knowing some of the languages, sometimes you don't put all these things together. And every once in a while, it'll just ding in my mind. Oh, yeah, Notre, our, our lady. Dom, lady, our lady. Patra means father. Patra, noster. There you have again, Notre, our father. There we have it. It's the Our Father. So you're praying, Our Father, art in heaven, Our Father, art in heaven. And I, I grew up with a group of very well-meaning kids that would go through a series of the Our Fathers and the Ave Maria, praying to the Son through the agency of His mother. It's very interesting that right in this passage where we're going to learn to pray, Our Father, art in heaven, as the years of church history have rolled by, the church has changed it into a ritual. Some of you might be troubled. You say, there seems to be such an informality here. There seems to be such an immediacy with God. In fact, I want you to think about something. I prayed purposely, Daddy, we want to talk to you as a body, as your children today. Daddy, we want to talk to you. And I want to ask you, how do you feel when I say, 
in addressing God in prayer, Daddy, I want to tell you something. A liberal minister that doesn't believe in the blood of Christ will never, never pray. Daddy, your sons and your daughters are here again. You'll never, never have that in a liberal situation. You know why? Because you'll never learn to have intimacy with God unless the Spirit of God is moving among a group of people. And Jesus says that we should not pray like the pagans with empty, vain repetitions. And it uses a word that's a, it's a once-only word in Greek. It's only used in the New Testament this once. It's very hard to find any other place it's used anywhere. It's kind of like Jesus says, don't pray, blah, 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 like that. It's kind of like that. Don't pray, you know, don't pray, blah, 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 blah. And you might laugh, and I want, you know, just to keep the kids' attention. Young people, children, moms and dads, if you're ever in a religious class, if you are ever exposed to any kind of a group, and they're saying to you, let me teach you how to pray, and they give you slogan words that you are to repeat over and over and over again, beware. You are in an unbiblical situation. Not that the whole situation is unbiblical, but that area of thinking that you pray to God needing slogan words, particular ritual words, that is a part of paganism. Jesus is saying to us, our heavenly daddy is a personal daddy who already knows what we need to talk to him about before we talk to him, and therefore we should pray like this. And then he gives us the Lord's Prayer that we're going to analyze in just a minute. I want to pick up one more thing before we get into the Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus says that we need to pray to our Father recognizing that he already knows what we have need of before we ask him. Many people will go on and say, well, therefore, why even pray? Why talk to a daddy who's already decided everything, already knows everything? Why should we even talk to him? Now that exposes, that question exposes something very off-kilter in my own life about what prayer is. And the, the pagan believes that prayer is trying to ward off evil influences or trying to manipulate God somehow so that he will do good things for you. And if you get the right ritual, you can get disease away or you can bring in a great harvest or you can bring in material prosperity. If you only get the magical cultic word right, then you can get God to perform for you. That's not at all what we do in prayer. We pray to a personal daddy and the reason that we pray is because he already knows us. He enjoys intimacy with us. He enjoys closeness with us. And yet in his almighty will, he's chosen to pull us right up into his heart. And there's a tremendous mystery in the will of God because our prayers make a difference. We move the heart of our daddy and, and our prayers to him and that closeness that we have with him and the fact that we remembered him is all part of his plan in ministering grace, in bringing spiritual help into that situation. We're not manipulating him. And he also isn't tied up by whether or not we pray. It's, it's not that kind of a theology, but it's we get to enter in to this very personal heart will that God is working as we talk to him. You say, well, Dave, I don't totally have that together. Either do I as I talk to you. 
Because there's a mystery in that. Because there is a sense in which God has it planned. He does. Nothing catches him by surprise. And yet God also reveals himself to us as someone who's feeling with us in trials, who responds to our prayers and wants us to talk to him. And don't ever, ever feel that the Lord doesn't hear our prayer. The Lord really challenged me about that when Mary called me up and Joel had gotten a bungee cord right in his eye. And, the, and Maranatha Bible Camp has terrible emotional overtones to me as far as telephones are concerned because it was at that camp that I heard about John's, Mary's oldest brother's first heart attack. And ever since that, I'm traumatized about the phone at Maranatha. And so when Mary's dad, Mary, you know, I got the telephone and Mary's dad gets on the phone and he has that Nebraskan, I don't know what you call it, it's kind of a, just a quietness. There's been an accident and it's like it's a morgue. I go, oh no, Joel's dead or something. Then he says, we've had an accident, Joel's had an eye injury. Well, I don't know whether his eye's lying out by the fishing pool, or, you know, what in the world has happened, I have no idea. Well, the conversation ends with, he can't see right now, but he's going to arrive in North Platte, and do you think you should meet him there? Do I think I ought to meet him there? You know, that's, what, that's what's going on. But, but Mary's dad, and Mary had a little bit of that in her. You know, just, just maybe you ought to meet me there. Well, what do you do at a time like that? Well, there's a part of me, theologically, that says, well, you know, it's, it, what will be, will be. You know, what will be, will be. Now, that is the fatalist in me. That's not the biblical worshiper of God. That's the fatalist. You know, God, you had this plan from the foundation of the world. I'm glad Joel finally got through. You know, he was destined to get hit in the eye with a bungee cord. And I'm glad we got over that thing. And why even talk to you about it? Jesus isn't telling us that kind of a relationship with God. You know how a daddy feels when his son might not be able to see? Y'all know. You know what? God the Father feels like that too. Joel's just as much my daddy in heaven's son as he is mine, only much more so. Because my heavenly daddy loaned him to me. So my heavenly daddy, this is an incredible thing. But you know, the Bible reveals that this awesome God that created space cries because he knows what it's like to, to hurt for your son. And he enters into all of that fear. It says, we have a high priest who's touched by our weaknesses. You know, Jesus knows what it's like to be afraid. And that's what that numbness is that comes over you when you're in a crisis. It's fear. Man alive, I don't, you know, I, I want Joel to be able to see. My eyes are my lifeblood. I use them. That's my whole career is built on my eyes and my mouth. I don't know what God has for Joel, but his eyes are important. You know, God knows all of that and feels all of that. And that's, that's the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with him. And so Jesus says that when we pray, our daddy, we're talking to a God who's entering into all of this humanness. Bible reveals a God who makes himself vulnerable to us, who enters into life. And that's what the Pharisees didn't understand. That's what ritual, liberal, very distant kind of worship doesn't realize. But Jesus is trying to teach us throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount 
It's a relationship. It's an intimate affection. It's genuine. It's authentic. And you can pour out your heart to God and God responds. We've got a daddy in heaven who responds to us and who enters in and hears our prayers. So Jesus taught us to pray like this. Our daddy in heaven. In Greek, this prayer goes like this. Daddy, our daddy. In fact, you know the way Luke begins the prayer in Luke 11? Daddy. Just starts out like that. Daddy, when you pray, pray like this. Daddy, because that's the word that she is. Pater, Abba, the Holy Spirit teaches you to pray if you're born again. Daddy. And I challenge you, you know, it'll change your prayer life. Start using that as your term of address to God. It'll change a lot of things. Jesus says, our daddy, you're in heaven. Boy, what, what, what assurance right there. You get your eyes vertically. You need to learn to begin your prayer time by getting your eyes vertical. And that's very hard for us. We get our eyes horizontal. But Jesus is teaching us, if you want to learn to pray, you don't have to pray these exact words, but this is the pattern of how you pray. So get your eyes vertical on your daddy in heaven. Now the phrase in heaven keeps a balance in our intimacy. And see, we're talking about intimacy with God, but not taking him for granted and not treating him cheaply. When we pray our daddy, we're not forgetting that he is the heavenly king. We're not talking about the big buddy in the sky. We're not talking about that at all. But we're talking about this wondrous miracle that we have intimacy with our daddy who is the heavenly king. So we are praying here on earth and we pray our daddy I get my eyes on my daddy who is in heaven now I begin to pray about some things that we want him to do in his kingdom first of all hallowed be your name let me just translate that into everyday English what we're praying is daddy in heaven let your name stop being treated lightly as I go out through this day I pray that I will be able to be used to cause your name not to be treated lightly. That's what it means. Hallowed just means may your name be treated with respect, with dignity, with love and affection. May it be honored. And so I go out to work on the job and a carpenter hits his thumb with a hammer and he goes, God, you know what comes next. And the believer prays, Father, Help me not to be part of that kingdom which curses you, which denies you. And that happens not only, and I want to pick on the carpenters that I worked with when I did seminary. You can go into any office. And, and rather than that being such a down thing for you, one of the things I want to teach you is the fact that the world that you live in, if you go out to Chaparral, I guarantee you that in a given day you'll hear the name Jesus, Right? But you don't hear it worshipped and adored. You hear it used as a meaningless, when things go wrong, but it's not just a meaningless thing. If you hit your thumb with a hammer, you're unhappy about it. You say, God, and you blame God for hitting yourself with a hammer. You blame pain on God. That's what's going on. If something goes wrong, you go, J.C., why? Because you're blaming God and you're expressing an anger. There's an anger in your heart against God. And you see, a lot of us have the idea, well, it just comes out. No, it doesn't just come out. It just comes out because that's in my heart. 
It's in your heart. We are rebels against God. That's why we curse Him. And what Jesus is saying that we want to begin to learn to relate to God, may I treat your name with respect. Some of you have never stopped to think, what in the world does hallowed be thy name mean? What it means is that as you pray this week, it means some of your prayer time should be, Lord, let me talk to you about your name. And I pray that people will respect your name. And I would challenge you, as you're having your quiet time in the Word, look for the names of God. Look for the different adjectives that are used for God. Look for the different descriptions of God. And you start to set apart God's name in your heart. You see, one day all the world is going to be forced to do that. Now you can do it graciously and freely. Second of all, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Now let me paraphrase that. There's no thy, it's your kingdom. Your authority may it come. Your authority may it come. Now I want to share something with you. If I ask God, God, I want your authority to come, what does it imply about the present situation that I'm in? It implies that God's heart, that God's desires are not being carried out in much of the world that I live in. I think a truth that's really coming to the surface among God's people is the concept of recognizing that there is a kingdom of God, there's a kingdom of evil. Now, God is sovereign over all things. But in the present world that we are living in, now, follow me, this is very important. In the present life that you are living, you are living a life where there are untold numbers of things that are opposed to the desires of God. There are things that will happen in the world that are totally alien. They are the antithesis of what God is. They're not outside the bounds that God has set for them. They can never catch God by surprise but because of a very wondrous story of love that God is telling in the present time, he has allowed the exact opposite of his will. Satan is the exact opposite of the character and heart and will of God. If you suddenly find out that you have a malignancy, God does not say, Oh Lord, I thank you so much for malignancy. I thank you that it's so much an expression of your sovereign, perfect will. I'm so thankful that you bring glory to yourself by making cells go nutty and re replicate themselves all over the body and snuff out this physical body that you've created. Baloney. That's totally unbiblical. And a lot of believers don't understand that. Cancer never catches them by surprise. And ultimately, it cannot destroy the story he's writing. But a malignancy is an expression of the fact that we are in rebel territory. There's an enemy on the loose. Death. You know, if we, when we go through death in this church family, I should hear wailing. I should hear some real crying because death hurts. It's very unhealthy. You ever notice 1 Corinthians says death is an enemy? It doesn't say it's a friend, it's the enemy. The last enemy that will be destroyed is the enemy of death. And something that we know, some of you are mad at God.
because things have not worked out right in this life. And the mistake that you've made is you've forgotten. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy will be done. Your kingdom come. It means that His authority is not ruling in the world freely and openly and consistently. A lot of things are happening totally against His will. So we should have a yearning in our heart. Father, I want Your kingdom to come. You know, we're ultimately praying the Lord's Prayer. We're praying, Heavenly Father, send Your Son. Revelation 19. And we're also praying, Lord, help me to bring your kingdom as your spirit dwells in my heart in the secret time of the kingdom within. Help me to bring your kingdom into the world through my life, recognizing all along that I'm in enemy territory. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that reemphasizes what we've been talking about. God's name, we're living in a world where God's name is not set apart, you're not going to hear the newscast like I've often told you. I've yet to have a newscast that begins. Let's begin the news tonight at 6 o'clock with a recognition of the Lord, Sovereign King of all the universe. Let's all bow our heads in a word of prayer around the world. Our Heavenly Daddy, thank you for sending your Son to die for us. Thank you for raising Him from the dead. Thank you for giving us new life in Him. And as we report the news, we recognize that you are working in all the world. How many of you have ever heard a newscast from the secular networks that begin like that? You know in the millennium, you're going to hear newscasts just like that? The sovereign king. We begin this newscast from the city of Jerusalem. Our sovereign king has just put out a proclamation of peace, wishing you well-being over all the world. And all the world will say, Lord Jesus, may your name be praised. That's not happening in the world at all. We kind of sneak Jesus in every once in a while. A believer gets into key areas of responsibility from time to time, but we live in enemy territory. But, oh, I pray you've got a yearning. Heavenly Father, may your name be set apart. I'm going to set apart your name today. You can spend some time this week saying, God, you're wonderful. You're awesome. You're kind. You're gracious. You're good. You're long-suffering. You're forgiving. God, from the depths of my heart, I want to tell you that I love you. It's a very simple message, but if you'll start to set apart God's name, it'll change your life.